Hey everyone, and welcome, welcome to Refinery Life Australia and welcome to another Tuesday night teaching. If you're looking for a new church on the Gold Coast, feel free to come and join us. We meet together at 9.30 on Sunday mornings at 23 T.E. Peters Drive at Broadbeach and we'd love to see you there. You know, if you're looking for a new church, there's only two things you really should be looking for. and It's not kids' programs or the brand of coffee or anything like that, the laser lights or anything like that. It's other people-friendly and is the Word of God being preached there. And let me tell you that at the refinery, that's exactly what we are. We're friendly and we preach the Word of God, the unadulterated Word of God. Join me in the Lord's Prayer before we go any further. We like to say it every week because this is the way Jesus taught us to pray. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's not our power, it's his. It's not our glory, it's his. You know, the Old Testament prophets were primarily foretellers rather than foretellers like we see today. They communicated the message of God to the needs of the day. Listen to the major message of the Minor Prophets is the title of the series we've been working through. And it, it's an extension of a series we did a couple of years ago, which was the major message of the Minor Prophets. And today we're talking about Zechariah. And greatly rejoice because your king comes to you. The text we're concentrating on is Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. We're reading from the New King James Version. It talks about the coming king. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10 now. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. What a great piece of scripture. I mean, we're going to work through Zechariah 9, 1 through to 10. Now, there's a bit of scripture here. If you've got your Bible with you, open it up. We'll break these scriptures open this morning or this evening, whenever you're watching. Zechariah 9, 1 through to 10 talks about Israel being defended against our enemies. Let's look at it together. Verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach and Damascus, its resting place, for the eyes of men and the tribes of Israel are on the Lord. Verse 2. Also against Hamath, which borders on it, and against Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. For Tyre built herself a tower heaped up with silver like the dust, and gold like the mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out. He will destroy her power in the sea, and she will be devoured by fire. Doesn't sound like it's going to be good for them, does it? Ashkelon shall see it and fear. Gaza also shall be very sorrowful. And Ekron, for he dried up her expectation. The king shall perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. A mixed race shall settle in Ashod. And I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take away the blood from his mouth and the abominations from between his teeth. 
But he who remains, even he shall be our, for our God and shall be like the leader in Judah and Ekron like a Jebusite. I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them, for now I have seen with my own eyes. And then we get into the, the verses that we're concentrating on today with the coming king. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from, the, from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And then we're going to look at Matthew 21, 1 through to 11. Now, there's a lot of scripture. I said this today, but it's important. Matthew says the same thing. It talks about the triumphal entry. It says, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. In verse 4 now. All this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. We need to understand here that the New Testament is a reflection of the Old Testament. If you're just reading the New Testament, let me encourage you to open up the Old Testament as well. Scripture interprets Scripture. In verse 6, So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. There's a good idea, isn't it? They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. Verse 8, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. We've got to start reading both the Old and New Testament. The 14 chapters of Zechariah's prophecy form two parts. Chapters 1 through to 8 constructed chiefly around the prophet's eight visions. And they were intended to encourage the people and their leaders in the rebuilding of the temple. With his older contemporary Haggai, Zechariah was successful in this. And then chapters 9 through to 14, which record the latter ministry of the prophet, they contain some of the most remarkable precise messianic predictions of the Old Testament. The entry of Zion's lowly king is described in 9.9. The mourning over the pierced one in verse, oh, sorry, chapter 12, 10 through to 14. The smiting of the shepherd and the scattering of the flock in 13.7. And there's many others. But our primary concern is with the first of these, the coming of the messianic king, riding on a colt into Jerusalem. The fate of the tyrant was sealed and his reign must inevitably come to an end. But the Messiah's power was to be for all time. 
Amen. Zephaniah 9.10 says, His dominion shall be from the sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. The Lord of hosts would be the redeemer of his people, who cleansed and sanctified, and should boast in their unfailing helper. We should boast in Jesus. We shouldn't be shy. We shouldn't be hiding away. We should be boasting in him. This was the reference in its own historical context. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on the Sunday before he was crucified, he was careful to fulfill this prophecy in every detail. This was his royal entry. He entered Jerusalem as a king to make a final appeal to his people, but he was rejected and he was crucified. The third fulfillment of this prophecy is still yet to come. Someone has said that deep down in their hearts, all people desire a king to rule over them. Whether this be true or not, there's something about the relationship of a good king and his subjects to which no other form of government can compare. In the wisdom of God, this is one figure that he's chosen to show the relationship between himself and his children. Zechariah's haunting words came down over the, to us over the centuries. Rejoice greatly, your king comes to you. Let me tell you, Jesus is coming back. Let's look tonight at three applications of this. First one is the Old Testament says the king will come. Looking back, we can see in the Garden of Eden the first prophecy of Jesus coming. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and, he shall bruise his, and you shall bruise his heel. The patriarchs added their testimony to this. The psalmist said in Psalm 10.16, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. The prophet spoke of a king who would reign in righteousness. He would be of David's line and he would be born in Bethlehem. He would be a man, but more than a man. He would save his people. All of the prophets, of all the prophets, perhaps Isaiah made the most messianic statements. He referred to the coming king as God's anointed. In one verse, Isaiah used five names, each suggesting a facet of his character. Look at Isaiah 9, 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then Isaiah said something the centuries since have not dimmed but have only served to light up. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Read the pages of the Old Testament. And the glow from these messianic passages becomes brighter and brighter as the years go by. The revelation is both increasing and progressive. This is the burden of the Old Testament. The King will come. And the New Testament says the King has come. Jesus was born a King when the, an infant's cry broke the stillness of that 
dark night in the cattle shed in Bethlehem. Humble shepherds saw the light and heard the angels sing. Jesus was proclaimed a king when, in exact fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, he entered Jerusalem to the cheers of the multitudes. They cried, Blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord. When the Pharisees urged him to rebuke his disciples, he replied, I tell you that if these shall hold their peace, then the stones will cry out. Then the time has come, as Zechariah had prophesied, for him to be proclaimed king, and nothing could prevent it. Jesus was crowned king when he came forth as the risen son of God from the tomb. Death could not conquer the king of life and death, and time and eternity. Jesus is reigning right now. In one of his great praises to God, Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.17, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, will be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus reigns in the spiritual realm. The, king of, the kingdom of God is not a state or a condition of this world nor an ideal order of nations and life. It centers on a person, centers on the king. 1 Corinthians 15.25 says, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. All. And our third point today, the final point today is, Receive your king. Above all, the Christian gospel says, The Bible says, The Holy Spirit says, says to every person, everywhere, and for all time, receive your king. It's a choice we have to make. Jesus' coming forces us to face two alternatives. Firstly, we, we may sing hosannas and cast our palm branches before him with adoring emotions. And then as the challenge to him grows sharp, let him be led out of another gate on a hill called De Cal Calvary. That's our first choice. Or secondly, we may receive him as the king of our lives and dedicate ourselves to his cause. I think that's a pretty good option. What Jesus did on that day, what he was doing on that day, he entered Jerusalem on that donkey. And up until now, Jesus had avoided being called the son of David because of the reference to the promised king, the, the promised Messiah. He did not wish to raise the issue with the rulers prematurely but now the time had come and he presented himself as king and what was the reaction the pharisees were indignant and they tried to crush the demonstration but it didn't work the enthusiasm of the multitudes knew no end as long as a year before they'd wanted to take jesus to jerusalem to make him king but he would not allow them they had visualized him throwing the Romans out of Jerusalem and taking the throne. And when he did no such thing, their enthusiasm died quickly. When you think Jesus is going to do something for you and he doesn't do it straight away, does your enthusiasm die quickly? Or do you just hang on to his promises like you should? What was the immediate result of this? The king was crucified. When the Roman governor surrendered to the pressure to crucify an innocent man, he put a title over the cross in Hebrew and Latin and Greek, and it was John 19.19. 19. It says, Now Pilate wrote 
a title and put it on the cross. And it was writing of Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The King was declared to be the Son of God with power in Romans 1.4 by his resurrection from the dead. Fifty days later, at Pentecost, the King was preached as both Lord and Christ. That was in Acts 2.36. And 3,000 people were converted that day. What will be the ultimate result? Ultimately, Jesus will come to rule over the people and all things. That was the prophet's vision. That's what Zechariah was, was prophesying. And the prophets dared to dream of a time when nations would beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, when nation would not lift up sword against nation or fight anymore. This was the psalmist's dream as well. Look at Psalm 93.1. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be removed. This was the great apostle's faith. To Paul, crowning Christ as king was the ultimate significance of the resurrection. This is the dynamic Christian missions. The faith that Jesus shall reign Wherever the sun does, wherever the sun rises, Jesus shall reign. That's the substance of John's vision on Patmos as well, isn't it? He told us in Revelation 11.15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is all throughout our Bible, folks. And on an even higher note, John said in Revelation 17, 14, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords, and he's King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. But the peak of John's vision and the whole Bible is this, Revelation 19, 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. We have no fear, people. There's nothing that the world can do to us that should make us scared. We shouldn't fear anything because Jesus reigns wherever the sun rises. Just that last verse 19.6, Revelation. No matter what rises up against us, Jesus wins. The Christians win. This is the ground of our Christian hope. There's no hope except in Jesus because he is the king. Every other kind of life is bound by limits of this shrinking world. But Christianity has all the windows open toward the limitless expanse of eternity. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent, reigns. We can stand on that verse today. As we finish up today, this is the Christ who stands at the door of our hearts. What shall be our response to him? God grant that we may say, blessed and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, merciful Christ of God, come. Come now. My life is yours. Enter my heart and reign, both now and forevermore. 
This is my prayer for you today, that you can say this. These arguments for you to consider need to be considered. They're to help you see faith is not blind, but there are reasons for believing. At the moment of truth, after you've considered the arguments, you must receive the gift of faith and choose to believe. No one else can choose for you. You have to do it yourself. You have to choose to believe. And I want to encourage you, as I do every single time we meet, to be diligent with your Bible study time because God has so much more for us than we can get from just going to church once or twice a week and hearing someone else talk about the Word. When you spend time with God, your life will change in amazing ways because God is a Redeemer. There's nothing that's too hard for Him and He can make you whole, spirit, soul and body if you will allow Him to. And you're important to God, you already know that. But you're important to us at the refinery as well. When it comes to prayer, we believe that God wants to meet your needs and reveal His promises directly to you. So whatever you're concerned about and need prayer for, we want to be here for you. Even if you just want to say hi, you can contact us on www.refinerylife.org or via any of our social media channels. And we're believing this year, 2022, is a year of repentance and a year of blessings. Let me tell you, we've only just seen the start of what's going to happen in the world. So if you want to see these blessings start flowing in your life, be down on your knees, be down on your face repenting and watch it happen. And until next time, stay in the blessing.